So, good morning, everyone. Number one fellow who used to preach for me at a period of time quite frequently used to always say, good morning, church. I was never particularly keen on that. But I do like to say, good morning, saints. (laughs) I'm very, very keen on that form of address. So, good morning to you, the saints, this morning. And as we've done, as Ali did there, we do welcome the Reverend Michael this morning. It's lovely to see him. And uh, very gracious of you to come and share with us in worship. So yes, we, we've looked at Malachi. Uh, got we've done two chapters at least. And briefly what we've discovered, as we were touching on there, as Ali did, as we were worshipping, is that Jacob, who by now had become... Uh, Judah, really, and the Jewish people uh, were very lacking in love towards the Lord. They were disobedient in so many ways that the the reality of their relationship with him was in danger of breaking, which is a dangerous place to be in, isn't it? Um, Their worship life was merely ritual and had no heart in it, which is everything to do with blemished sacrifices that we read about. And consequently, they had no vision, no vision of the greatness of God and what he was about in their day. And uh, in chapter 2, it goes on to admonish the priests for their lack of godly priestly service, the Levitical people, of course, in, in, in that time. And consequently, the unfaithfulness of the people the people of Judah, because if the priests are failing in their work, the people are being seriously misled. Uh, And Malachi's prophetic counsel in respect of that is, in one phrase really at the end of the piece we looked at last week, guard yourself in your spirit or your heart and do not break faith. Guard yourself, guard yourself. And how key it is for us in our walk with the Lord to guard ourselves, guard our hearts. And we looked at a passage which spoke of that guarding uh, as we went through the passage last week. So we come to the portion that Ali just read to us. And if you've got a, a more modern translation, it's probably headed the day of judgment. It certainly is in mind, the day of judgment. And straight away we we see how deceived the people have become. You've wearied the Lord with your words. And they don't understand it. Well, how? How have we wearied him? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. He's pleased with them. Where is the God of justice? You know, they don't see that God is working amongst them or wants to work amongst them, to bring his equity amongst them, his justice, his, his fairness amongst them. They've lost any sense of his direction. So they tell lies to themselves that manifestly the opposite of the truth. Um, and we know from John's Gospel that the devil himself is the father of lies. All who do evil are good. 
in the eyes of the Lord. He's pleased with them. It reminded me of, of the problem that Paul was facing, and particularly deals with it in the, in the book of Romans, where because, because grace is given to counteract sin, the people are saying, well, let's sin a bit more and have, to have a bit more grace. <laughs> and of course, Romans 6 is how to deal with that. He says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Can the Holy Spirit be encouraging you to sin? But that lie was finding itself into the heart of the New Testament church. If grace counteracts sin, let's sin a bit more and get more grace. If I remember the reading, it was called antinomianism. It was to do with counteracting the law of God on the basis of cheap grace. And Paul said, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how we think, isn't it? Reckon yourself. That's the thinking. And in those ways, our minds can be renewed. I came to faith in 1980. It seems a long time ago now, but it's only a few seconds in reality. And it took me a couple of years to get properly, as it were, in the heart of the Spirit of God. You know, to be properly born again. It took me two years. I'm just saying to Michael, I grew up in the Anglican Church. I was an organist for some of my time there. One of the I don't know if you've ever come across them, Michael, the unconverted type of organists. Well, that's the sort I was. I wasn't difficult at all. But I was just there because I like music, you know. And it was part of them. We did, it was a busy church. We could do five weddings on Saturday afternoon back in those days. So the organist gets a fee for the weddings, you know. One or two funerals in the week, the organist gets a fee. It was part of my income. That was a professional musician at that time. But it took me two years to get, as you might say, right with God. I think I expected him to do something for me to make me feel better. He didn't do that. He showed me in the end he'd already done everything for me. And as I accepted that, I began to get blessed. He's already done everything. He's given his son. His son shed his blood to save me. That dawned on me by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. My self-demands just broke away. And I came to walk with him in a better place. So I was very aware at that time that I died. That in terms of my will for my life, I had died. And I've sought to work that out because we carry on living, don't we? <laughs> and that, that's the issue. We, even though our wills, we've given them over to God, the, the life-shaping decisions that we make, we seek to pass them over to God for his direction. And as we do that, we discover the incredible nature of his faithfulness. Because he leads us in ways, he brings us across people, he leads us in paths of righteousness, which I never could have found otherwise. I've been walking in my own strength, under my own feelings, trying to work hard and prove myself. And all that drops away as we yield 
and allow God, I think, as Ali touched on this morning, allow God to do the driving without being an irritating uh, passenger sitting in the uh, left-hand seat. So Judah was irritating at this moment in time as she was walking farther and farther away from the heartland of what it meant to live in relationship with their creator. And whilst God makes a way for us, there will come a time when he stops doing that. There will come a time, you know, we are facing a time when there will be a day of judgment. And this is actually what Malachi is seeing here. You know, he sees through the 2,000 years of church history. He sees beyond the 2,000 years of church history. And he sees, without understanding the church and everything that has gone on after he ministered, he sees that there will be, at some point, before the end of the days in which we are living, there will be a day of judgment. Now, many commentaries do refer this to John the Baptist. Our messenger will prepare the way before me. And it's not wrong to think of John the Baptist in that sense. I mean, it's right in a way, but Malachi has seen John as being a forerunner to something beyond that. He's seen there will be a messenger in the form of Elijah before the Lord actually comes. Before he comes to his temple, Jesus never came to the temple, did he? He came in humility. The only time he went to the temple was when he got circumcised as an eight-year-old baby, eight-day-old baby. And the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come. So Malachi is seeing beyond of that to a time when the Messiah as he understands it, will come and there will be a judgment. Now he continues, who can endure the day of his coming? You know, the way, Judah, you're going on at the moment, you won't endure it. Who can stand when he appears? He'll be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He'll do something to purify you. Almost every New Testament scripture that you see in relation to the coming or the appearing, it says when he appears, and the word appearing is used not for the nativity or the incarnation of Jesus, but it's used for the coming of Jesus, not in humility, but in majesty. When he appears. And for that to happen... People have to be prepared. So he's going to refine you. He'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by. As in former years. So, as in the case of all prophecy, yes, there's a word of exhortation there, there's a word of challenge, the need for repentance, but there's a vision beyond of that 
when there will be a response and there will be something of God to which the people will respond. They will be refined. They will be purified. And of course, John the Baptist said of Jesus, didn't he? Look, there's one coming. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I'm only baptizing you with water. But there comes one after me who will baptize you with Holy Spirit. And with fire. And of course, the, in a sense, it's ironic, but Jesus, during his earthly ministry, never baptized anyone with the Holy Spirit. But he made the way for that to happen. Because when Jesus was ascended, he talked with the Father up there, and they dialogued with the Holy Spirit, and they said, right, you go down. Jesus had to go up for the Holy Spirit to come down. And that's what he did, isn't it, on the day of Pentecost. They were baptised with tongues of fire. And that's what Jesus made way for. And that's what John Baptist foresaw when he made that comment. That Jesus had to go up before the Holy Spirit came down. And from that time, of course that really ushered in, didn't it, the last days. All these two millennia that we've lived in through then, since then, have been the last days. And God had been preparing the people through the work of the Holy Spirit in the refining power of the Holy Spirit or in the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit to be the people that the Lord wants who will bring offerings that he can accept. You know, I love that. One of my favourite passages is that short prophetic bit in Luke's Gospel where Simeon, old Simeon, is holding the baby Jesus just before he circumcises him on the eighth day. And he says, Lord, so famous, we used to sing it every Sunday evening. Lord, now let us out thy servant to remember the old words. Depart in peace. For my eyes, he's looking at a baby. He must look at hundreds of babies like every week. How does he know it's this baby? Mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. To be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people, Israel. And you know, the light has been shining since then. And and the amazing nature of what's happened is the light has shone in the Gentile nations. God did two things in his saving purposes. The Gentiles are in darkness and have to be brought to light. But Israel has light, but has walked into darkness. So he works in the Gentiles in one way and in Israel in another. And that's exactly what Simeon picks up, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. 
And that is what Malachi is seeing here. He can't express it in detail. You know, it took John in Revelation to see it in detail. It took Daniel in a measure to see it in detail. But he sees it nevertheless and he's speaking it out as the Spirit gives him this revelation. And Paul caught on it, didn't he, in Romans 11. He says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The light to lighten the Gentiles. And after that, all Israel will be saved. And so all Israel will be saved. Fantastic words. We can't unpack them in detail, but we do know that there is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel. God is doing both things. It's beautiful. And straight away, you see, he's talking about refiner's fire, laundress soap. And the Spirit's been doing that ever since. Took me those two years before the Spirit of God really came into me and revealed to me the beauty of what Jesus had done for me. Before then, I was expecting God to do something for me. It's me. It all depends on me and how I'm feeling. No, it doesn't. It depends on God and what He's doing for us and what He's done for us. And what He will yet do for us. There's a threefold confession that we make very often when we share in communion. And he says, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And I find that very key to remind myself so often because somebody said it's good to remember this and good to live like this. That Christ died yesterday. He's alive today. And it's coming tomorrow. It's good to live like that. He died yesterday. He's alive today. And he's coming tomorrow. And that's how the prophets spoke. They were unable to see the person of Jesus who became the Messiah. They were unable to see that. The Lord didn't show them that. Although they were aware a Messiah was coming and wasn't, weren't sure how that would happen. But they were able to know that as they understood the past, that gave them you know, hindsight, that gave them understanding as to the present, insight, and the ability to speak into the future, foresight. He understands the past as the prophet. He, he, he grasps the present because he knows where the people are coming from to be where they are now. And from that place, he can speak into the future. And we as believers are like that. Christ has died past. Christ is risen now. That affects me now because it enables me to live the new life that Jesus has given me now. And he's coming tomorrow. And sometimes I don't think we, we grasp the reality of Jesus coming tomorrow with sufficient clarity. 
And I've loved in these last number of years to look more at the whole thing about Jesus coming and eschatology and the end of the age. I rather love it. That's why, in a sense, I said, can we do Malachi? You know? But this is what Malachi has seen to the extent that he can express it in his day. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud themselves, uh, defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows. These are all things that went on in Judah of that day. And all things that go on in society and have done ever since. The oppressed widows, fatherless, they take advantage of people who are in, the, in a weak and vulnerable place. They deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. In Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul just describing the congregation. It must have been a fantastic congregation in Corinth. I wanted an interesting ride. It would have been quite something to be part of that congregation in the, in the particular church. And he's aware that the people who are now with him and who are worshipping the Lord alongside of him in that church in Corinth that has grown when Paul is writing to them, he says, don't be deceived. There are sexually immoral people, there are idolaters, there are adulterers, there are male prostitutes, there are homosexual offenders, there are thieves, there are greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, and such won't inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were like that. <laughs> they weren't just a bunch of people that came out of, um, you know, relatively what we might think of as normal living. They were a bit like David's... Um, David's group that he gathered around him. There were loads of them. <laughs> Interesting people. That is what some of you were. Then he makes this lovely statement. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of our God. In other words, God has entered into their hearts. Entered into their lives. The Holy Spirit is cleansing them. Refining them. And he's doing a work in them that is supernatural, that only God could do. So there is that, and this is why we are here today as a church, isn't it? Don't ask me how we cope with people like that, other than bringing them into the presence of God. There's no other way. There was a phrase, Michael, we, we, we had... Um, we used to meet regularly with some folk in the adjoining Anglican church. In the last two or three years, we were at Whiteleaf. And we'd do the morning um, matins type of thing, except for every day of the week. Half an hour's prayer together. You know, only three or four of us. But there's a phrase in that liturgy that caught me and I've used it ever since. 
And he says, as we rejoice in the gift of a new day, may the light of your presence set our hearts on fire with love for you. And I thought, wow. <laughs> that's powerful. Because that's all we've got, isn't it? Today. And, and that just catches it for me. And I often use it in my own prayers. As I rejoice in the gift, it's a gift of a new day. May the light of your presence set my heart on fire with love for you. And that's all to do with the refining fire of the Spirit, with the cleansing of the Spirit, with the ministry of the Spirit. And if I can live like that today, the Lord Almighty will be quite pleased. <laughs> quite pleased. But there will come a time, as I've said, when the day of judgment comes to pass, when the Lord's grace in bringing all sorts, anyone who will, to the throne of grace and giving them new life will stop. And that's what Malachi is saying here in verse 5. I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against all those who effectively are mocking me. Those who defraud, those who oppress, those who deprive, those who are vulnerable. I will do that and they will give account. And there will be a division between those who are seeking God and those who are not seeking God. Between those who are calling on him for his divine assistance and those who are living independently of him and haven't, haven't got any spiritual interest or desire. There will be a division. And Malachi says that a bit later. We'll touch on that next week. But just let me touch on a couple of passages which emphasise that. If you've got a scripture or you can just turn to it on your, on your phone... I'm looking at Daniel 12, the end of Daniel. Just two scriptures before I close. And Daniel's having an encounter with, with a, a being who's obviously an angelic figure. And chapters 10 to 12 in Daniel deal with this meeting that Daniel has. And Daniel is perplexed by it all. And asks him how long it will be. And the uh, heavenly visitor says, it will be for a time. This is Daniel 12 verse 7. It will be for a time, times, and half a time. Which, generally speaking, we understand as three and a half years. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. That is quite a key statement. Because I do believe that the angel there is referring to the people who have been known as Judah. Israel, as it were, telescoping into Judah. The holy people. And there will come a time when their power is broken. And, and, and Daniel has been told that that will be the case. I heard, but I didn't understand. <laughs> is that surprising? So I asked, my Lord, what would be the outcome of all this? He replied, 
Go your way, Daniel. Because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Here's the work of the Spirit. Many will be made, many will be purified, made spotless, refined. And here's when the dividing line comes in between what's basically the righteous and the wicked. There's a dividing line here that we haven't seen before. At the moment, the grace of God is reaching to anyone. And we are part of that process as we seek to reach out to anyone. But he says, see, the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are wise will understand. Then he speaks about that period of days, which we'll put in brackets for now. But as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That's beautiful, isn't it? Because we too are going to rise at some point, aren't we? There's going to be a resurrection of those who trust in Jesus. So when Daniel rises, we'll be rising with him. I love that. You want to work with Daniel? We could speak to him then, possibly. I haven't listened to a man called Clifford Hill, who is quite well known in the nation. Clifford Hill is now about 94, and he's still actively engaged in ministry. Remarkable man. And his favourite personality of the scriptures is Jeremiah. And the last time I listened to him, he says, I long to be able to talk to Jeremiah. He says, after the resurrection, I'll be able to speak with him. I thought it was rather lovely. But you will rise. Daniel will rise at the end of days to receive his allotted inheritance. Let's just use a connecting scripture as we finish at the end of Revelation. Because John here is having a divine encounter in the same way that Daniel did. The end of Revelation chapter 22, John even wants to worship this angel. And he says, no, no, whatever you do, don't do that. Worship God. And then he tells John, just remember what's been said to Daniel. But he tells John, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of of this book. Because the time is near. Daniel's been told to seal it up, hasn't he? What I've shown you, Daniel, what I've spoken to you, seal it up until the time of the end. And now it's told to John, don't seal it up. The time is near. It's time to go public as far as the Spirit of God is concerned. And here he says it. Let him who does wrong... Continue to do wrong. It's that dividing line again, which has come in before the day of judgment. The one who restrains sin, the one who convicts men, has been withdrawn. The Holy Spirit, it seems, has been withdrawn. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. That dividing line is drawn.
I, Jesus, into verse 16, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. You see, we're still in the day. My word, praise God, we're still in the day of salvation. We're still in the day of grace. And as we sing often in the hymn, don't we, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, that pardon receives. And so we're told here, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life.